2: Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Kotayama, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day on the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, so I'll try to demystify it in this program with my co-guests. Cool and my guest today is Andrea Fatsari, who is a Tokyo-based photographer in travel, portraiture, and culinary world. Andrea joined me on episode 113 to discuss her then-new book, Tokyo New Wave, 13 Chefs Defining Japan's Next Generation with Recipes, uh, which won the 2019 James Beard Foundation Book Awards. And Andrea just published a fascinating new book called Sushi Shokunin: Japan's culinary masters, from, uh, and shokunin means craftsman or artisan, and you cannot talk about Japanese cuisine without understanding the craftsmanship running through it. And Andrea beautifully and insightfully captures the idea of Japanese shokunin in her new book, and you can tell her profound understanding of Japanese culture, as well as love and passion for it. So today we'll discuss the uniqueness of Japanese style craftsmanship, how sushi masters practice it, the concept of ikigai, which is the backbone of their professional life, how the traditional sushi industry is changing, and much, much more. But before we start, Japanist is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and now on Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and subscribe to Japanist. And please write to review. We re- appreciate with feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about the topic, topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at needs at the Video network.org or at Now let's start a conversation with Andrea Vasari. Hello, Andrea.
3: Welcome back. Hello there. Thank you so much for having me again.
2: So, it's good is, to
3: hear your voice.
2: Oh, it's very exciting to mm-hmm. see your book. So, Thank you. Yeah, so the first book, of course, was very impressive and very thorough. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, oh, of course, you won the James Beard Awards. Awards, yes, because. I did.
3: I, I, I won it for my photography for that book, yes.
2: Mm, congratulations. Thank you. So, uh, so first of all, for listeners who have not listened to episode 113, uh, could you tell us your background?
3: Oh, sure. Um, I am originally from uh, Manhattan. I, As you explained already, I am a uh, photographer. I'm an author. I'm also something I call a chef whisperer and I'm I'm a designer in the sense that I also work heavily on the presentation aspect of my books Uh, and I'd say I'm a storyteller. I tell mostly culinary stories of food always in a cultural context Uh, because I very much believe that once you talk about food, you learn so much about any culture. You learn about the politics, the agriculture the art, the design, really endless topics once you delve into the culinary world. Um, And I've lived in seven countries, including Japan, and I moved to Tokyo in 2015. Uh, I had vowed that I would do so uh, 20 years ago when I first visited, uh, because I I was essentially enthralled by everything on that first trip. So I vowed to live there and I finally made it happen.
2: Mm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, and also you, you extensively traveled over a
3: yes. tremendous
2: number of countries, right?
3: Yes, yes, um, just about 90. Um, wow. <laughs> I began as a travel photographer, and I still am. Uh, but now, in addition to my photography, uh, being an author is extremely important to me, and my writing is also quite important to me.
2: Um, mm.
3: But of course, yes, the visual aspect is my first love.
2: <laughs> right yeah so um well your book we're going to just talk about but your mm-hmm. kind of way to see that various unique japanese culture mm-hmm. i think it's based on your extensive knowledge of how things work globally universally so yes and also the, the my
3: my very profound appreciation of japanese aesthetics is something that's very appealing to me uh, innately in a way because I'm always drawn to the aesthetics not only through my photography but in design and the art world as well and actually before I became a photographer I, I worked in the fashion world um, I was I worked for Armani and Dolce Gabbana for example and I also worked in, in film I did public relations for Miramax films and so I think this all comes together in how I see things and how I communicate um, about Japan in these two books.
2: Mm, Right. I think Japan is lucky to have you, to have Um, somebody. You're (laughs) very
3: kind, but I'm lucky, uh, you know, to be experiencing Japanese culture firsthand. I mean, to me, um, it's, it's, it's my home. I feel so comfortable. Um, There are of course many things I don't understand and and never can. Um, However, I think that I have grown to understand quite a bit, and it's, it's a place that really touches me. So mm. um, I think it's in a, a very, very special place.
2: Right. Okay, so let's dive into your new book, uh, Sushi Shokuning, Japan's Culinary Masters, yeah. uh, which just came out at the end of September.
3: Yes, after a five-month delay, <laughs> so wow. I'm so excited for it to finally come out.
2: <laughs> wow. Yes. So, okay, so it's full of stunningly beautiful photos of Sushi Masters and their yes. restaurants and sushi that looks like uh, precious jewelry yes. and all taken by yourself. And yes. uh, what each photo releases, to me, it's lively and refreshing. And uh, it's really interesting to see these hawkers, very hardworking and proud human beings like they are. So so first of all, why did you decide to create a book about Sushi Masters?
3: Well, I have to say that the traditional um, Edo cuisines, and Edo is the original term for Tokyo, um, that would be tempura, soba, sushi, um, things like this, are very um, enticing to me because they convey so much about the history of the country, the traditions inherent in the country, and they reflect a lot of of really singular ideas about Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that when I moved to Tokyo, finally, I, just walking around, you know, doing errands or what have you, any given day, I was most drawn consistently to the facades of the sushi, which are the sushi restaurants, for their simplicity, their purity. Um, and I couldn't eat, though. I couldn't eat in them because I was still concerned. As I explained in my introduction, I'll just explain briefly. I Many years prior, I had had a very serious tropical illness, so I wasn't allowed to eat sushi among other foods for many 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 years and upon returning to live in um, actually upon moving to Japan I still hadn't eaten sushi in many many years it was getting wow. harder to resist because <laughs> it's it's you know it's everywhere um different types of sushi different levels of sushi are everywhere and so noticing these facades, so the, the architectural elements, the design elements really got me thinking, could I try it? Am I ready? How do I feel about it? But I noticed I was still a bit nervous at the prospect of trying sushi again, just because I'd been um, sick for quite a while. Um, so finally, I made my way back, which I explain uh, in more detail in the n- introduction. Um, I made my way back to a sushi meal. Uh, And it was at uh, Sugita. The full name of his restaurant is actually Nihonbashi Kakigaracho Sugita. Um, But Takaki Sugita is the shokunin. And the experience I had was incredibly touching. Um, I became emotional uh, during the meal. And it was basically then that I decided that I must do a project about sushi to wow. understand it more to learn more about the shokunin above all mm. and to understand it in a more profound way because it touched me so and that's the that's the basic reason for the book
2: right okay
3: mm. uh, how many years ago was it well i moved to tokyo five years uh, in 2015 but my first trip to japan was in 20 20- uh, two thousand year two
2: thousand. Right, okay. but my meal
3: with Sugita was soon about a year after I
2: had been living in in Tokyo. Mm, wow! So it's a long project you really incubated and made it. Yes, happen.
3: <laughs> yes. But it was definitely the strong, visceral experience, which I it was unexpected. I didn't expect to react this way, mm, and right. I, I did. So it changed my path creatively.
2: Right. Um, so uh, we're going to discuss the Chef Sugita, the, the, you know, the restaurant, because that's mm-hmm. the sorry, Takagim Sugita. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but, you know, to, just to back up, the Edo period, it's just from 17th century. And that was when, you know, Tokyo used to be, they really started fun culture. Yes. And people say New Yorkers are similar to Edo citizens because they are really quick. And, Busy, um, yes, yes, they yeah. want to eat quickly. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Sushi so, was a fast food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So we are talking about sushi today. It's Edomai-style sushi, yes. which is a piece of fish topped on, um, you know, like a little bowl, bowl of rice. Yes, That's, it's
3: mostly defined. It's, it's defined by many characteristics, but mostly the nigiri, which most people know in the West. And mm-hmm. also different methods of treating the fish, like curing, salting, drying, smoking which extended right. the fish shelf life.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. and also really maximize the money Exactly. flavor. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's it's so simple. It's just a piece of fish on top of a bowl of rice, but if you try to make sushi by yourself, if I I was miserable.
3: Yes, no, it does <laughs> it doesn't work. It, it's never the same at all. That's right. why I think the simple the simple foods when they're really powerful and super delicious are the ones that are the most difficult to create all the time. Mm. Uh, The ones with fewer ingredients. uh, These are always the most challenging and they take the skill of these shokunin to really um, put them across in a way that, that, that is truly stunning uh, in your mouth, but also, um, as an experience, because for me, sushi or dining in general, eating in general is never just about the food. Mm. Um, it's about the atmosphere. It's about the service, you know, a in Japan, Japanese hospitality is mm. something very unique also to me in the world, which I um, adore and appreciate tremendously. Um, right. So all of these things come together and um, create an experience, which is really
2: unsurpassable. And you mentioned, you know, the facade of Sushi Place, and it's very distinctive, not just how it looks, but Mm -hmm. how it smells like the cleanest.
3: Absolutely. In fact, in Tokyo New Wave, it's funny you say that in my previous book, I talked about some of my first memories from that trip in 2000, where I would walk about the city and in other parts of Japan and smell, you know, the soy that cooked. You know, I'm not just talking about sushi restaurants, but those those um uh, fragrances and aromas like uh the katsuoboshi all the different smells that kind of wafts about on the sidewalk when you're walking and that's definitely something uh which influenced me as well with um the sushi ya when i moved there five years ago
2: mm. Mm. right and i i know uh, sushi chefs um also, for example, I happen to be in one sushi place uh, late at night and they completely wash, literally wash the whole restaurant. The absolutely.
3: One- it's a <laughs> ritual every night. Absolutely. It's it's right. definitely a ritual. It's part of the process and cleanliness is extremely important. Cleanliness is next to godliness or close to godliness. What is the exact saying in, in English? I forget. Um, mm. But it's the two are equivalent. Uh, cleanliness is extremely important to a shokunin.
2: Right. So it's not just for our health department. It's for themselves. No, like a mind themselves. cleaning kind Absolutely. of.
3: Right? Yes. Right. Because also in sushi, nothing is hidden. Uh, basically, it's an, they're dealing with honesty in regard to their customers. Like the customers, you're sitting at the counter, you're watching the shokunin. Everything is prepared in front of you, with the exception of some preparation that might go, you know, the the curing, the salting, things like that will have happened in the kitchen. But the actual preparation of what you're going to eat in that moment happens in front of you. And it's made with their hands. It's very uh, pure. It's very honest. They can't hide anything. There are not a lot of ingredients. And so it all... Um, sort of ties together the idea of cleanliness and purity and honesty and reverence for the customer. It's very aspirational.
0: Mm.
3: You know, the, the sushi to me is about sort of existing on another plane, really a spiritual plane. Mm. Um, and I feel this, especially when when I eat the
2: sushi, which I talk about in this book. Right. Mm. Okay, so I think first we should uh, understand the term shokunin. Yes. it's very So important. what is
3: shokunin? Well, I'd like to read just an excerpt from my introduction, if that's okay, to explain to the audience. Um, yes, please. Shokunin, because I, I considered for some time how to best explain it in a short, in a, in a relatively short, uh, concise way. Um, There is no single English word that adequately conveys the meaning of shokunin. While it is typically translated as craftsman or artisan, these definitions fail to express the magnitude and breadth of the Japanese term. Inherent in a more exacting translation, master craftsman is a glimmer of the more expansive nature of true shokunin. Concurrently, they are altruistic leaders teachers and artists of tremendous spirit and skill who strive for excellence, not only for themselves, but also for the benefit of others, their families, apprentices, customers, communities, and regions. This dedication to a lifelong pursuit of the highest level of mastery, spurred by an unwavering desire to constantly improve, affords all types of shokunin, a respected and integral role in Japanese society where the fruits of their discipline and talent have been enjoyed for centuries. They are particularly noteworthy, sushi shokunin specifically, are noteworthy examples of this way of being. Through the daily preparation of sushi, these master craftsmen express their individual identities and their passionate reverence for Japan's singular bountiful terroir. Wisdom and tradition passed down from the generations of shokunin who have preceded them have instilled in these men an unwavering faith in repetition and ritual, a rigorous attention to detail, and an often palpable sense of gratitude. Particularly poignant is the Shokunin's humble devotion to pure, wholehearted amotenashi, which I would just refer to Japanese hospitality, unmatched anywhere in the world.
2: Mm. Right. Um, There's a lot. And uh, it's it's beyond just... uh, vocation it's Mm -hmm. a lifestyle
3: yes it's a belief system it's a lifestyle absolutely it's kind of all-encompassing um which is also why many of the shokunin told me that without sushi they have nothing Mm. their lives would be non-existent without
2: sushi Right. When you said, you know, in your introduction, the word repetition, right? So it's Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, making the same thing over and over. It's like almost, uh, you know, judo or kendo or Mm -hmm. kind of martial arts kind of mindset. Yes. By by repeating.
3: Absolutely, because it's in the repetition that you reach for that level of excellence or perceived perfection. And it's the reaching. It's not the arrival, because, of course, perfection is always elusive. Mm -hmm. They're never going to reach that level, but that aspiration to that level is what fills their days and gives them purpose. Mm. Um, And I think that if we talk about shokunin in another discipline, for example, uh, there are very specific artisans, specific shokunin who are tremendously skilled in a particular way of Painting the top coat of lacquerware, for example. I mean, they can be that specific where that's all that they do. Um, And if you think of someone who every day is going into his studio or her studio, um, just to paint lacquerware with a specific technique that has been honed over usually many, 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 many years, That is that is a stunning degree of dedication. So these sushi shokunin are doing that too, but they're doing it with fish and they're preparing food for us. They're Mm. giving us an experience, um, you know, and it's a give and take because we're consuming the food. Uh, It's it's different, of course, than someone in a studio making um, painting lacquerware. But it just is a way to understand the dedication to craft and making something,
2: right. um,
3: which becomes very spiritual because it's that daily desire to to constantly improve, which I included
2: in the introduction as well. That That's a key element to a shokunin. Mm, interesting. Because I think uh, Japanese society, I think all the industries or kind of mindset mm-hmm. is based on specialization meaning mm-hmm. if you specialize yes. in this one you are in charge and you yes. have someone else to work together mm-hmm. so it's yes. like my like fisherman um is a always a team a part of the team of yes. shop, that kind of mindset it's mm-hmm. you are in charge you do the best yes and that's your mission of life that's
3: absolutely and mindset. because you want to do good by others And not just the people who are in front of you, but the people who have preceded you in life, uh, people who will come after you're long gone in the future. You want to do your best um, because that inherently is something that is taught in Japan, even to, I believe, in children. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, pride in work and doing one's best. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but in school in Japan, young children are very much taught how to treat others and they're taught to take pride in cleaning the classroom and making lunch for others. Um, It's not adults who serve the children, it's children who serve other children. And I think already at a very young age, um, many children learn um, sort of the the grace that can be found in serving others, but also in being clean, in, in helping others, in creating an atmosphere or even a thing that brings pleasure to others. So that altruistic notion is is very much instilled um, at a young age. Now, whether or not they grow up into adults who continue on that path, I mean, obviously not everybody in Japan is that way, um, but they're exposed to that mentality very early on.
2: Right, right. Like if you um, ride a subway, and on the platform, you know, people who are working uh, with the subway system, they're so professional. Yes. Like, in the sign, is okay, it's safe. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. I
3: feel, yeah. I just look yeah. at them. Right. And, and this is also part of the reason why, you know, public life functions extremely well uh, in Japan, because people also respect rules. They respect the notion of public life in the sense that they don't want to cause trouble for other people. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of harmony in public life uh, with the the way that, like for example, the way Tokyo functions. Um, and I, I have a lot of appreciation for that as well.
2: Mm. Right. Okay. So, uh, so what is the theme of the book?
3: Well, the theme is absolutely the, the shokunin themselves, their artistry, what makes them tick really? Because I spent quite a, quite a bit of time with each of them in private settings, you know, not during service, obviously. So I, I really got to know them in a way that diners would not. Uh, this to me reveals even more about Japan itself, Japanese culture, uh, in a lot of de- a lot of depth and many other areas of Japanese culture that are not even specifically culinary, as I mentioned uh, when we first began this conversation. Um, so these men really taught me about themselves. They revealed to me their very humanity, which to me is extremely compelling because you can. Empathize with them, you can essentially become in how do you say endeared to them. Like they become these figures that are extremely uh comfortable to be around, almost like some sort of good friend, because they have revealed their worries, their hopes, their fears, their their, their things that they love, things that happen to them as children. Uh, so having these interactions with these men who are usually somewhat sequestered, like usually they're, they're thought of as hidden figures or very private, uh, or very formal or very stern. I didn't have that experience. I had a different kind of experience where they were so much, they were very approachable. Uh, they were very candid Um, I was allowed into their lives, essentially. And this is what I'm putting forward in this book, a glimpse into people who are usually not this accessible. And in turn, learning about them, their personalities, a bit of their personal history, I'm also explaining to people more about Japan. Because to this day, so many people say to me, friends, Mm -hmm. what have you, not in Japan, friends outside Japan, how could you live in Japan? It's so mysterious. it's it's so cold. It's so difficult to understand. It's so and my experience is is not that. So I'm basically trying to say, no, it's like this. No, it's like this. So in this book, I'm basically saying, no, it's like this. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm trying to just show that that much more. Uh, uh, how do you say you can identify with these men
2: right um,
0: it's so, interesting
2: so japanese culture tend to be yeah like your friend said it's uh, looking formal and colder but they're yeah. really waiting for the moment to open up and mm-hmm. get close to you so that's yes. i think the beauty of the culture yes it takes right.
3: time it takes trust um and they're every bit as emotional and uh full of feeling as italians or spaniards um it's just communicated in a different way
2: right mm-hmm. okay so uh one of the key concepts i think we need to discuss this is that you introduce in the book it's the word ikigai yes. i-k-i-g-a-i, ikigai. Yes. Yes. so what is it and uh, how do sushi masters represent it
3: mm-hmm. well in a basic sense ikigai is one sense of purpose um that reason one has to get up in the morning that which basically provides the central source of drive in your life.
2: Mm.
3: So ikigai is central to a shokunin's life uh, because it is that sense of purpose inherent in creating sushi for others, for the community, um, for you know enjoyment uh, for, nutrition for all those things. Um but they're also expressing their identity every day. And that's extremely important as well. Mm. But 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 basically reduced in its simplest form. It's that's your sense of purpose.
2: Right. That's the reason you wake up for every morning yes, excited. Yes, yes. Right. Yeah the word ikigai is becoming a keyword for I think mental wellness in mm. recent years in Western countries too. Yeah. Um so yeah I think it's really Interesting that Mm -hmm. people, I think, as sushi chefs, um, almost that focused attitude towards Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. keeps them very um, kind of energetic Mm -hmm. in quiet way, Mm -hmm. which is inspiring. Well, they experts always
3: point to a sense of purpose uh, when they study those adults who live the longest in the world the centenarians, the people who live over 100 years old, when they talk about what allows that to happen beyond genes that someone inherits, what is it? It's lifestyle, it's social connections, it's diet. And one of the other things is sense of purpose. Mm. When you have a meaning, a a kind of meaning to your life um, that fulfills you, you are healthier you feel better mentally and physically Mm. Um, so all shokunin have this sense of ikigai and of course because i'm specifically talking about sushi shokunin in this book uh, they are definitely uh, people who all referred to it in some form when i spoke to them
2: Mm. so how did you choose that 20 sushi masters uh, from all over japan
3: Yes, it, it it was a bit of a challenge, um, but then it became easier. I started actually with a list of 30, um, and they were shokunin that I knew of. Um, not all personally, some personally, but many not. Uh, and I whittled down the list based on style, uh, personality, personality. Um, a couple of other criteria but also i worked on the list with some of my shokunin friends um, and i was guided uh, so that i also had that element of approval so to speak i i didn't want to think uh, that i in any way am an expert at all because i'm not Um, so to consult with um, the shokunin in the book, and a couple of them in particular who I've become closest to. Um, I thought it was the smartest way to come up with a list that reflected Edomai Sushi in in a more complete way, um, with different styles, different personalities, different ages. Uh, and that's basically
2: how the list came to be.
3: Um, mm-hmm. so, it was but organic, were they...
2: Right, but were they open to be written up in an English publication, like a big book? Yes, um, by and large they were. Um, A
3: couple were reticent. Um, A few that I thought I might like to include, maybe three, um, were very, very, very traditional and they were probably too anxious at the prospect, so they... Uh, respectfully declined, but it was not not a big issue at all. Um, And I understood, um, you know, sometimes some of the older gentlemen um, are so traditional in the sense that they just want to focus on what they're doing um, and not necessarily expose what they're thinking and feeling. So I'm definitely respectful of that. That sounds and, very shokunin. <laughs> so, yes, but it was <laughs> literally only two or three. Uh, and then, by then, I had already decided to reduce the number of shokunin to 20. So in a way, some of them did me a favor because it would have been hard to um, include everyone in the book, right. ultimately. Um, mm. But yes, they were very open. Um, you know, some more than others, you know, you will you can get that sense perhaps as you're reading. Uh, but by and large, I was really honored to be allowed to participate in their lives in this way.
2: Great. All right. So let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about the sushi masters in the book. So please stay with us.
1: with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome
2: back. You're listening to Japan Needs, broadcasting live from studio uh, it's not uh, my studio in Remusburg <laughs> <famous> Booking. <laughs> and I'm um, your host, Aki and my guest today is Andrea Fassari, who is a Tokyo-based photographer and the author of The Tokyo New Way, 31 Chefs Defining Japan's Next Generation, which won the 2019 James Beard Foundation Book Awards. And Andrea just published a fascinating new book called Sushi Shokunin, Japan's Canary Masters. So let's talk about the actual sushi masters in the book. So mm-hmm. first of all, I really enjoyed reading about um, Takashi Saito of Sushi Saito's yeah. um, close, very close relationship with a fish wholesaler
3: ah, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: in the Toyosu fish market. So mm-hmm. could you tell us about it? And by the way, the chef Saito has earned three Michelin stars for the last, I think, six years or something, very long time.
3: Yes, um, maybe even more than that. Um, but they recently took the stars away. Did you know?
2: Oh, I didn't know that.
3: <laughs> they, they took them away, <clears throat> excuse me, only because he it's virtually impossible for the public to get a reservation.
2: Oh, yeah, I read
3: about that. Right, yes, right. so right. that's the only reason. He's still as excellent and super uh, impressive as ever, um, but it's one of their rules, I believe, Uh, If the public can't get a reservation, then (laughs) that was him. Yes, Um, but I don't think he flinched. I don't think these things. That's also very much a trait of the shokunin. Um, The stars are are not really what they're concerned with. Um, Mm. So I think the public at large responds um, more to rankings. Um, Right. So so anyway, yes, his relationship is an example of the interdependence uh, between the the wholesalers the fish wholesalers and the shokunin um, to procure the finest uh, fish and seafood and Saito's uh, wholesaler which i do talk about in his chapter is Yukitaka Yamaguchi who is very famous as the the tuna broker There are others, of course. Um, He is extremely well-known with the shokunin and and even many, I think, Japanese in general. Um, He is really incredible to watch. um, If you are able to ever see him at Toyosu, Uh, the way he handles the fish, the way um, his employees work, um, they are... uh, Intense, quick, impressive, and it's a very, very lively environment. Um, But their relationship is one that obviously was built over time so that they know how the other responds, acts, chooses, and deciphers the best product. Yamaguchi-san understands Saito-san and vice versa. So this is why Saito-san uh, can also operate the way he does, at the level he does. And this is true for many of the shokunin. Their, their brokers, their fish brokers, are very important to them. And some of these relationships, for example, a relationship that Isao um, Amano has. Now Amano-san is in, um, uh, in the south of Japan, on the island of Kyushu. Um, he has been working with someone even for 50 years. Um, so these relationships are extremely important and they're also a kind of friendship. Um, and I think that their relationship with the the wholesalers is, is
2: totally integral to, to their mm. success. Right. So this is another thing that we discussed earlier, the specialization. And I think this trust is also... Really embedded in the Japanese kind of professional shokunin relationships, so mm-hmm. you understand each other, you trust hundred percent, and mm-hmm. you kind of you have to be together to survive in the yes. business as well. Yes, you yes,
3: know? it's it's a ritual that's that's every morning.
2: Um,
3: you know, the Saito-san goes to Toyosu. They they talk, they look, they point, they feel, they. Uh, taste they uh, it's just a morning happening to assure that the finest uh, fish will be in front of the customer
2: that day Mm, and also and you know like that kind of partnership if you have that inspiring chef um, you know the wholesaler Toyosu market would be more motivated to get mm-hmm. the best of the best. So it's kind absolutely. of like inspiring um positive relationship as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. They sustain each other. Um mm. so it's a it's a mutually beneficial relationship, absolutely.
2: Right. So um now I would like uh, to talk about Taka Sugita of Nihonbashi. Mm. Because mm. Chosugita, which mm. changed your life to, in terms of writing your mm. book that like yes. we discussed earlier. Yeah. So I he in your book, um, there's a quote which I like. So uh, mm. she cuts out anything that is not necessary. In and of itself, it's pure and brave. Yeah. So can you elaborate on this?
3: Yes. When he told me this. Mm, I sat for a while and just thought about it. We were all quiet. Um, Just considering what those words meant, because they were striking words, kind of disarming words. Um, They point back again to the, how do you say, the beauty in the simple that... Mm it's an acknowledgement of honesty and it's an acknowledgement of the essence of things and the inherent beauty in the essence of things. Hmm. It's much, it requires more, much more bravery to prepare something, which as I said before, very few ingredients and compared to something which has a lot, as far as I'm concerned. And I think some other people will agree with me. Um, That's not to diminish other cuisines in any way. I'm just saying that, for example, if you're going to prepare an iwashi nigiri, an iwashi is sardine, it's a humble little fish, right? There's nothing fancy about it. But if you are preparing it, You've prepared it many times before. You've come to a very high degree of knowledge about this fish, how it behaves when you cut it, what it looks like, what it feels like, how it smells, how it tastes. You are making a statement about the essence of the sardine. And what does that sardine represent as a nigiri? What does it say about your skill, the fish itself, And your identity, it comes back to those same themes, you know, repeated over and over. So even the way, for example, Sugita-san would prepare that particular nigiri, someone else will prepare it differently. So there are different characteristics that come through, and each of the shokunin expresses his style, you know, in a very individual way. Um, But to me, sushi is pure. It's it's essentially... um, in many ways straightforward, um, it, it has this gorgeous simplicity um, and this honesty about it, which is in, incredibly humbling and d- disarming is the perfect word because disarming to me also conveys that it touches a nerve, it touches a cord that in someone like me makes me very emotional because it, in something in its simplest form is stunning. I mean, I I just keep going back to that. You're not pretending it's something else. You're showing it in its simplicity, simplicity, its beauty, its inherent fishness. I mean, I know that sounds funny, but you're celebrating things. And that takes a degree of confidence, belief, and bravery to put that forward and say, this is the squid. This is the sardine. Um, and to live your life, to say, you know, I'm a, I'm a sushi shokunin. This is what I do. I'm going to clean, you know, the restaurant every night. I'm going to prepare everything with honor for my guests who I honor. It's, it's all of that sense of benevolence, that sense of aspiration, and just creating things in a way mm-hmm. that touch people. But also, at the same time, is showing them who you are as a shokunin. I hope that right. makes sense.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah, I totally agree. And then you know, in the introduction, you use the word gratitude, right? Mm. So this, um, I think, this sushi chef's mind really always have that word gratitude in mind. Yes. Yes. La- I, yes. Lost.
3: Absolutely. And also. With Sugita San, he operates a lot according to Bushido, uh, the way of the warrior. there it's a series of virtues such as you know honor, benevolence, politeness, um, honesty. and so he lives by this code. And so if we remember that, for him to say that sushi in, in and of itself is pure and brave, that's very true because he is considering sushi on a plane, which is perhaps different than, you know, the person on the street. He considers it uh, to be something filled with virtue. Um, Mm -hmm. As I said before, honor, honesty, politeness. And he talked to me quite a bit about being balanced, being even, to be constant, like someone constant in in a storm, his mentality and his personality, his characteristics, allow him to be such an incredible shokunin, and he's literally the top. Um, Mm. And it's, again, not just his skill, which is remarkable. It's his way of looking at what he does, and nice. that aspirational mindset that I keep mm. referring to. Yeah.
2: Right. Okay. And uh, the other thing uh, I found interesting, always oh, in your book too, uh, the successful sushi masters often have mm-hmm. their wife mm-hmm. to be the greatest business partner as they mm-hmm. call dokami. Mm-hmm. Dokami, yes. So, right, and that's the case with uh, Katsu Nakaji of Hatsura. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely.
3: Maybe even more so than some... Um, and of course, there are many shokunin who do not work with their wives. We have to say that as well. Um, but in Nakaji's case, and he is the owner of Hatsune, the third generation, if I recall, um, his wife, Mieko, is extremely important to him in his life in every way. And he would not uh, continue um, as he does you know, in the restaurant, Um, Without her, uh, every decision is made with her. She is there uh, every evening in kimono, um, overseeing things, welcoming guests. Um, And many wives do have this role. Um, And what I do talk about in the Nakajis case is um, something they were extremely open about, is that um, she is suffering from a terminal illness. Uh, So their outlook and the way they have chosen to stay open and welcome their guests is colored by this issue. Um, But they are really radiant. They have a mentality which is extremely open and generous and striving to experience all that is wondrous and beautiful about life in a level that is beyond most people's sort of comprehension on a daily basis i mean when you're confronted with this problem everything Mm. changes and so i talk about that in their chapter
2: right yeah okay so um yeah by the way the book is full of great essays and it's a storybook, very inspirational. Mm. So, yeah, I really recommend listeners. You should yes. really take a look. Yes,
3: I love right. telling stories.
2: Right. Um, so, what do you think you, uh, re- uh, the readers can learn from the sushi masters? From the sushi masters in the book?
3: Well, so much. I mean, many of the things we're talking about are life lessons, aren't they? Yeah. Um, that transcend any culture. I think that the shokunin's perseverance, uh, devotion to craft that is central to one's life, that sense of purpose. Um, I think also sense of pride and their sense of responsibility towards towards others, uh, towards the past predecessors and future shokunin, their commitment to doing one's best. Um also their reference to to nature, to product that comes from nature. Um, and I think in learning about these shokunen, you're absolutely going to learn about Japan. And that's also the point. Um, you'll gain a lot of insight into um, art, design, you know, aesthetics, philosophies, and even Shinto beliefs, um, or and Buddhist beliefs. You will learn. incredible amount uh, many layers i think are are in this book um Mm. and because these people touched me so much i i just wanted to convey uh what they taught me so i think there's a tremendous amount you can learn Mm,
2: right i completely agree um so the um so you know the I think in Tokyo, New Wave, you featured a female sushi chef, I did, sushi yes. master, right? Yes. Homie uh, Takeuchi. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about, you know, the, the sushi industry has been known for male dominant yes. for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. is, do you think, uh, you know, the sense of like a chef's dress really like in a modern way and having a really like interesting modern lifestyle outside mm-hmm. the kitchens, but mm-hmm. is the, you know, the culture changing? I think
3: the culture is changing. I mean, I think there are two parts to your question. I'll, I'll talk about the female aspect first. Um, I think that this is definitely changing, um, perhaps slowly in, for outsiders looking in, but pretty quickly within the industry, I would say. There are more apprentices now that are female. Um, there are some of these top sushiya and sushi shokunin who have taken on female apprentices, which never would have happened uh, 20 years ago, let alone even 10 years ago. Um, it's becoming more common. Many of the shokunin in this book are quite open minded and they are uh, actively training uh, women uh, who will then go on to open their own uh, sushi-ya, sushi restaurants. and um, eventually attain this level where these shokunin are um mm-hmm. so it's definitely going to happen it's on the horizon
2: right. um, so do you think they are hiring women because they prove to be competent absolutely
3: they're competent and, and i think that many of these shokunin reject some of the historic reasons for why women weren't allowed into sushi restaurants let alone in the kitchens or behind the counters from body temperature, to makeup, to um, temperament, to problems with hormones, you know, there were all kinds of reasons why women (laughs) were not allowed. Um, So some of the shokunin now do reject that and think that it's, it's not, it's baseless in the sense that if someone has a desire to, to learn and, and loves the sushi world and wants to learn all the aspects that there are to learn about, which take I mean, it takes forever, I mean, many, many, many years to become a shokunin then why not allow that person to do so regardless of sex? Mm. Um, so I have heard this. Um, there are, however, still many who do not approve of the idea, um, some of whom are in the book. Uh, so it's, it's a mixture um, of those who are definitely... Uh, approving of the idea and don't see a problem with it at all and others who still do so it's it's a it's something that's in flux but it's it's on the horizon i mm. keep going it, it is happening wow, and, as, great. and as far as the uh, modernity of dress or what have you um yes in their private lives they are you know people living in 2000 2000- 2020 where are we what year is this the winner <laughs> um, I'm hoping yeah I can't wait for this year to be over uh, for many reasons like many of us do um right. but uh, sure they're in their private lives just as as modern as can can be um, whereas when they are in their restaurants they definitely have a much more traditional role. Uh, that they that they play de- definitely a much more traditional stance um, and and behavior, um, but I think that they they have a, a very good balance um, because whenever they are functioning in their private lives, they're still shokunin, um and they're very much aware of that, and they would never. Um, want to change how they are regarded by the community mm. uh, so i think they balance it very well
2: right and uh well the sushi has become extremely popular globally and yes. it's now one of the favorite foods for many americans for instance mm-hmm. so how are the 20 sushi masters feeling about the future of sushi as a global food
3: i think they're mostly very positive i think some have concerns about sustainability. I think some are concerned about um, the reduction of fish. Obviously, there are problems with man-made disasters. Of course, um, climate change is a a concern, absolutely. Um, So I think if you look at it from that perspective, I think there's a definite degree of concern. Um, And depending on where they are, they may be more or less concerned about it. Um, but as sushi in and of itself as an art form or as, as something that characterizes Japan abroad, they're, they're very proud of it. They're not concerned about it. They think it's great that, uh, sushi is made all over the world and that some, you know, other types of sushi, um, if they're shokunin abroad, prepare things in a different way, in a way that they might not. They they appreciate that. They're they're mm-hmm. open to that interpretation, I believe. Um,
2: right.
3: and so it's it's all good, but there's definitely the concern about climate change.
2: Mm, yeah. Right. So um so new now written two great books and you have close examination, both modern and traditional canary profession professionals mm-hmm. in Japan. So how do you what did you learn from the experience and any different to Japanese culture in your mind? Um, Let's see.
3: I absolutely think that there are quite a few differences um, between the chefs that are maybe French-influenced or Italian-influenced or um, some of the chefs I included in Tokyo New Wave as opposed to the shokunin. Um, But in both, I learned a lot about the chefs in Tokinui, their humanity, and also the shokunin. And in doing so, um, learned more absolutely about how Japan ticks. Um, And being, you know, living in Japan uh, and having these in-depth experiences with uh, people who are authorities about the culinary world and about cooking. They've given me the opportunity to learn, you know, more about farming or a particular flower or a particular uh, food or region. I mean, when I first arrived in Tokyo to live in, in 2015, so many chefs, uh, when I would ask them where something came from, would say Hokkaido. So then I thought, gosh, I've got to go to Hokkaido, I've got to check it out, see what it's like. So many products come from there. Um, so having these interactions is just a constant learning experience in small and larger ways. Um, And uh, I hope to be able to do it again in some other form.
2: (laughs) So are you planning to write in a book? (laughs)
3: Um, Eventually there will be another book, exactly uh, about what yet, I'm not sure. Um, But uh, there are so many things to choose from.
2: <laughs> but I'll let you, I'll keep you posted. I, okay. I don't know as of yet yes, right. <laughs> So yeah, I'm looking forward to having you again on the show discussing you. your new book. So what, <laughs> where can we buy your book?
3: Well, the best place is on my publisher's website, which is oceline.com or EU.ostline.com depending where you are. But for people in the United States, it would just be astoline.com, which is A-S-S-O-U-L-I-N-E.com. Um, and you can find me mostly on uh, Instagram. Uh, my handle is Tokyo underscore Andrea underscore Fazari. So if you um, put my name in it, will, it will definitely come up. And there I post, um, you know, a lot about Japan and recently, of course, about this book, which was a huge project. So I am delighted and over the moon to share um, anything I can about it. And um, yeah, so com is the best.
2: <laughs> okay. okay, great. So, uh, so listeners, this is really a great book. So again, the title is Sushi Shokunin, Japan's Canary Masters. Shokunin is S-H-O-K-U-N-I-N, Sushi Shokunin, Japan's Canary Masters. So thank you so much, Andrea. And well, uh, oh, keep me posted. Well, thank you so much, Akiko. Always a huge pleasure. Thank you. All right, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for short topics or guests, please contact us at Needs at theheritagevideonetwork.org or at Japan Needs is a weekly program, always available at heritagervideonetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. My junior, uh, Jess Krancic, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization